0: Good morning everyone, thank you for joining the sixth week here. We'll be coming into, it, just as I mentioned, talking about human rights, what those rights are, where they come from. Again my name is Dale Lavoie, my wife and I have been part of GCF North here for about the last ten years. I recognize once again that we're in a large room, but I would love it to be interactive. So if if there are any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to jump in with with a question or a comment. But first, before we go any further, I'd like to open in prayer. Our God, we thank you for how you have been kind to us this morning we thank you for our ability to, to, our freedom to come and to worship you. Our freedom to come and, and understand the impact of the resurrection. God, we thank you for the word that was opened this morning. We pray that it would do its good, good work in us. And we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds now. That we would see the greatness of what we have in you. And how it relates to our rights as we stand before you how it relates to rights as it stands before man. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, quickly by, by way of review, last week we spoke, we spoke briefly about a theology of the civil government. We saw that there is biblical warrant for civil, for civil government that justice be done. The government is given the sword, and the sword is a metaphor for coercion. I, as your neighbor, cannot come over and coerce you to do something. I, as a member of this church, have no privilege to come and coerce you to do anything. But the state is given the sword, an instrument of coercion to carry out justice and to protect, and that there is due process. The sword is not to be Used um, without regard to the possible innocence of a person. We also talked about how all people are created in God's image. That being equally in God's image necessitates that justice be administered to all, both the powerless and the powerful. So justice has its claims upon someone, a homeless person who knows nobody, or the president of the United States, or someone in a multinational conglomeration. There is justice to be done equally with all people. So if you look at history over the millennia, this is a radical claim. Oppression of the weak is the historical norm oppression of the weak is the norm in a world why is that again this is an upst- we talked about upstream things that our theology flows into our understanding of culture the fact that we live in an oppressive world and we we see oppressive governments simply relates to us the reality of the fall of man With the theological statement, all men are created in God's image, certain rights are established that should be honored, honored and protected. So with that, I would like to switch and move forward and focus on the the topic of rights. So when we talk about rights, and there's lots of discussion about those rights, We hear about animal rights, workers' rights, homeless rights, trans rights, gay rights, right to life, abortion rights, rights to speech. We hear the right put next to and in front of and behind a lot of different things. But again, what does that right, what does that right entail? What do they mean? Who gets to define what a right is? On what basis is something declared to be a right? We need to ask for a definition. Okay, here's a working definition I might propose. What is a right? A thing that I am entitled to. Things that I, that I have a claim on is my right. An entitlement and a claim and a claim that others may not take away from me. So, if we talk about civil government, if we talk about politics, a central theme that we have to address is, what is a right? Where does it come from? And upon upon what authority do I say this is a right and that's not? But, really, perhaps in most of your minds, we should go immediately to talk about our rights before men. But what we should really start out with is, what are our rights? What are our entitlements before God? So I would like to start the conversation there. What is our entitlement? For those outside of Christ, apart from saving faith in Christ, what is the entitlement? What is the claim that such a person has Upon God. Any? Dan? The question, what can we of God? Yes. What is our right? What is our, what, outside of Christ, that's right. The question is outside of Christ, what claim, what entitlement, what demand can be placed upon God? Only justice. What is the realistic, what's, excuse me? Why? Why? Good, thank you. That's That's a fundamental question. If our only response as someone being outside of Christ does not believe in the claims of Christ, God came and revealed himself, and this is going back to some of the contents that we talked about earlier in the message, or earlier in the series. We were created we were created for something specific in mind. We were created to have a relationship with him. He revealed himself and, and revealed that we are broken in sin and we need a redeemer. Those who choose to find their satisfaction and their joy outside of Christ, those who do not need, see the need for faith, who have seen no reason for, for repentance, do not do, what are they de- declaring? I don't wish to have fellowship with God. God is merely doing, he's merely certifying their decision. You say you have no desire for me, and as a judge, I'm saying you will have no part of me. So that's the claim. That's the why. I don't know if, did I answer that? Okay. (laughs) So what's the, if a person sees that, what's their claim upon God? Well, how about those inside Christ, having a, those having a saving faith in Christ as, as Redeemer? What, is there a sense of entitlement? Is there a sense of claim? Well, let me see. There's a very different footing for the person in this position. As a beloved adopted child before an attentive and affectionate father, this father sees this child as possessing the loveliness and righteousness of Christ himself. The father works all things for the good of his children. This father has given his his children new and loving hearts, enabling them to love him. This father declares that all his children will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the inheritance of all. So that places you... In Christ before God with a very different sense of entitlement or claim. What is the outcome? What's the outcome of seeing yourself with this kind of standing before God? What's the realistic response? Let me let me propose gratitude and love, joyful obedience, self-denial, self-sacrifice, service, All this because you are satisfied in him. Now, in this life, not perfectly. Not perfectly, but you're satisfied in him. Not perfectly. But in heaven, our satisfaction will be made perfect. So will this have, as we view ourselves before God, will this have an impact about how we view others? Well, we talked about on on session one, the gospel has impact upon how we interact with others. So now let's discuss, any, any thoughts on that, about the whole concept of rights and where it positions us in, in, in before God? Really, that's where the conversation needs to start. Dan. Amen. Amen. Everybody hear that? Everybody hear that? Everybody, Dan, one more time, nice and loud. God. There's our claim. Thank you, Dan. There's our claim. We could just stop right now and walk, go home and praise God for what he has given us, our right in Christ. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about our rights before man. What does... What does it not mean? A right is not something I really, 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 really want. I may, I may want my neighbor's house. I cannot just move in. I may want others to pay me so I don't have to work again. I really want that. That would be awesome. But that desi- the desire for that right does not m- make it a right. And this reality the fact that and this is actually far more of a thing now than it was 20 years ago it's kind of amazing how we find rights popping around because it's my right you don't you need to tailor your speech because my right this is especially important when the desired right is impossible i could say i love birds you know, I have, uh, there's high school kids who are talking about they are a dog or they're a cat. I have a right, I want to be a bird. I could climb up, uh, uh, I go to the top of a building and declare to the world, I'm a bird, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly, and none of you have the right to interfere. Does, does my declared right change reality? I could jump off the building with all this sincerity feeling my identity is completely plugged in with my birdness. Will that have an impact upon reality? As I fly 10 feet away from from the ledge, what's going to happen to me? Gravity is going to give me a lesson that reality is not changed by my perception. A right does not give someone the ability to avoid the consequences of ignoring reality. So again, we get into matters about what is a right and we talked about earlier that there are things upstream that affect our conversation at current. What's upstream of rights? Well we talked how worldview flows into a person's view of culture which flows into a person's view of politics. We talked about how theology, someone's theology flows down into their view of culture and into their view of politics. Asking the question about what a right and what those rights are takes us upstream. What are some some of the ideas as to where rights arise? The source of something impacts its very nature. If I look at the roots of an apple tree and I I look up uh, up at the, uh, at the, the, the top limbs, should I be surprised if there's Apples there. The the nature of what's giving the the fruit its source. So as we talk about the source, we need to first talk about sources of, of, of where people claim rights come from before we can talk about those particular rights. So the first thought about the source of our rights would be the individual. Are there any, we talked about worldviews. Anybody want to venture a guess about a type of worldview that would say, yes, the rights come from the individual. Perhaps postmodernism. Postmodernism says, it's, all these conventions doesn't make any sense. What you say with your culture and your culture, it's just me and mine, and we need to respect each other. And that's, that's postmodernism, and that's a lot of, again, what I mentioned on university campuses. So, rights arise from the individual. I declare my own rights. I declare the right, let's say I declare the right for furniture, equity, and justice. I declare a right for furniture, equity. I come into your house, and I see there is an inequitable distribution of furniture in your house. Justice needs to be addressed here. I take your couch, I, take, I, I bypass the coffee stand because you, you got bad taste, but I go into to your, into your kitchen, I, your kitchen table, and I take those out and I redistribute those. Who are you to stand in my way when I come to the conclusion that I have a right to walk in your house and claim your couch? What if you believe that you have the right to your own personal property? Whoa, suddenly we have a conflict. So I didn't quite hear that. So someone down in Cuba, and, they had, and the neighbor had two refrigerators, and they got in trouble because they had two refrigerators, which was not equitable for, for their neighbors. There you go. The beauty and wisdom of a worldview not driven by what God has revealed. That was sarcasm. Just, just laying it out there, laying it out there. If rights come from the individual imagination, then anything can be construed as a right. One person's list of rights may conflict with another. They're all ultimately arbitrary. Therefore, no true right exists. I would not want to live in a world where that is reality. How would this, uh, in postmodernism modernism and, and other worldviews, as I mentioned, this view of rights is the logical point of view. So that's, there's a hopelessness in saying that, in, that individuals in their own imaginations really are the source of rights. That's a hopeless place to look. How about nature? Now, I wanna delineate there's a concept of natural law, and I'm right here I'm talking about na- law that could be derived by watching nature, or, or if you remember back to week three, we talked about a naturalism, naturalism would state what there 's only matter there 's only electrons uh, there's, you can 't look at an electron and, and derive any kind of morality from it there 's no right or wrong it 's just an electron. This is a table. This is me we're just matter, there's no value here, there's no value here. So anyway, as we look at at nature, natural law, let's see, let's first consider the claim of the worldview of naturalism. If we look at nature, nature itself, some would claim, we don't need religion, we don't need the Bible. Nature itself tells us that human beings are equal, and this is very much... This is not a minority opinion, there's a lot of scholarly opinion saying that based upon us looking at nature, we can derive that we have rights. And then, and this was actually very prominent. The earliest secular people in the 17th and 18th century said we don't need the Bible to see the importance of the individual and the individual and the importance of equal human rights. But then came this really jolly fellow by the name of Darwin. Very jolly. Again, just sarcasm. What did his jolly worldview give us? Darwin came along and said, yes, you're right. It's all just matter. It's all just evolution. There is no God. What's it reduced to? It reduces to the red tooth and claw. That's the only moral that you can have from nature. What do I mean by the red tooth and claw? Survival of the fittest. As I mentioned in week three, if we're going to have one moral, one right, that derives from nature, it's what? Survival of the fittest. I go out and I look at a beautiful deer, and this beautiful deer is taken down by wolves. Can I derive, how do I arbitrarily say, it's okay for wolves and for um, deer, that's, that's natural, but not for people. I've just inserted an arbitrary decision, an arbitrary delineation. And you can't do that. Which means, if you were to say that, that people actually do have rights, based upon nature, you're bucking nature itself. You're saying the survival of the fittest isn't relevant here. There's no grounds to make that claim. Again, test worldviews. Again, the only right that a naturalist could assert is the right to eat or be eaten. And this goes across all activities. I'm driving, and there's a kid walking in the street. Too bad for him. That's the natural outflow of a Darwin approach to rights. So, for the individual, I disagree with you, you disagree with me. Rights cannot derive from the individual, from nature. The only thing that we can really say, and I would say, that Darwin has it right in this regard, if we look at the beasts, it's survival of the fittest. Sure, there's instincts. Sure, you can see, um, but generally, the predators eat meat, poor meat. The vegetarians eat plants. Hold it. Where's the plants' rights, people? So, nature doesn't provide this rights. The individual doesn't provide the rights. Now, how about the government? And this is where a lot of thought comes in. People say, rights come, when we come together, as a society, as as a group of people, and we create, again, this group could be three people on an island, and we say, I don't, we should agree that we don't steal each other's stuff. That's a government. So the thought would be that rights come from the government, and that government creates these rights. It makes these rights. Human rights are things that, that as people we create. We see the world, the society goes, that we see the world, we see that the society goes better if we treat everyone as equal and valuable. So we just decided to create rights because that's a better outcome. It's more, it's better for everybody, it's better for survival. However, what's the problem? Anyone you want to venture a problem if if government creates rights what's the problem with that what's the shortfall? They can, they can be taken away the government gives the government takes who's the ultimate arbiter? Can I appeal to something larger than government if if all governments come from, if all rights come from government there's no appeal if i'm if i live in Montana and my individual rights are protected and I move to North Korea, as a person who says that rights come from government, I can only say, great, everything that Kim Young, help me out here, Moon, is a, <laughs> everything that North Korea does is perfect because rights come from the government. No, of course not, of course not, and we could look back, well, So if you say the majority creates rights by voting them and creating those laws, that means that the, law, that the majority can also go out. The majority, hey, let's have pure democracy. The, the, the majority can act, enact a vote. Let's go over to Iran. All the Iranians vote. We have a majority. We're gonna kill all the Kurdish. You have a majority. You have, you have democracy. Hold it. Is that a right? But what? but what is a right in its nature? Here we see the reality of, of how things were really created by God. Rights are discovered, they are revealed, they are not created. They are revealed to us by God, not imagined. Why? Rights are useless unless they are discovered. Rights... Not created, rights that are not created hit the whole point of a human right. What do I mean by that? That's when we have a minority, and I'll go back to the Kurds. I just brought them up in my head. The Kurds can say, no, we are a minority, but we have rights regardless of you being a majority, and you can't put us under boot. Hold it that's necessitating that we have rights prior to government. The value of a right is that a minority can urge and claim rights against the majority. If rights, again, to underscore, if rights come from the collective imagination of those in government, then they are likewise arbitrary and can be taken as easily as they are given. Depending on the whims of the majority or whoever the current authoritarian is, so on this point, I have a video. On this, uh, there's a this is a TED speech from a very lauded author and professor at the University of Jerusalem. He's written many very uh, um, top ten books that were in the New York Times list. And he is a very influential person at the World Economic Forum. For those of you who don't know what a World Economic Forum, it's a group of individuals who are trying to create a vision for what the world should be like. Are you ready with that? Oh, let's see. You're going to have to skip to, that's, it doesn't start at the start. Uh, I'm, I think, hold on here, bear with me. Yeah, we don't wanna start this at the start. Uh, 10 minutes, 12 seconds. That was my impulse. I should have tr- trusted it. Just right at the 12-second mark.
1: Do you disbelieve in human rights? But human rights are just like heaven and like God. It's just a fictional story Here, now, that back we've invented to, to, uh, and spread around. Ten minutes, It may seconds. be... world, many, maybe most legal systems are based on this idea, this belief in human rights. But human rights are just like heaven and like God. It's just a fictional story that we've invented and spread around It may be a very nice story, it may be a very attractive story, we want to believe it, but it's just a story. It's not a reality. It is not a biological reality. Just as jellyfish and woodpeckers and ostriches have no rights, homo sapiens have no rights also. Take a human, cut him open, look inside, you find their blood, and you find the heart and lungs and kidneys, but you don't find there any rights. The only place you find rights is in the fictional stories that humans have invented and spread around. And the same thing is also okay. true in the political field.
0: So again, this is, there are lots of people who have their own YouTube channel who have an audience of two. This is not one of them. This is a highly esteemed intellectual uh, in... in in very influential places. Any thoughts or feedback from what he said about the origin of human rights? He had a thick accent, he was basically saying, rights are are produced from our collective imagination. And where did he go to that? He said, if you cut me open, you'll see kidneys, you'll see blood, but you'll see no things called rights. What kind of a worldview would say such a thing? A materialist. I'm cutting myself inside, I'm cutting inside. There's no such thing as rights. Well, is there any such thing as beauty? Is there any such thing as justice? Is there any such thing as morality when I look at my atoms? That's all that a materialist can say. And before you think that materialism is is not really that much of a notion, again, This man has a a widespread influence. So, based from the individual, there's no source for rights. Based from nature, nature is no place to look for human rights. If we look to government to create those rights, there's no basis there. They are only the collective imagination that can change. So, where else can we look for our source of rights? Oh, there's the government. We can look to the Creator, who revealed Himself, who revealed Himself as creator of the world, and we see this was the sentiment of the framers of the United States. I'm not saying that those framers were perfect, but their worldview to a larger degree than today reflect the Christian worldview. Why do I say that? The The Declaration of Independence, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Rights endowed by the creator before any government, with certain inalienable rights. So then these rights exist prior and are independent of government. Therefore, the proper job of government is to recognize what those rights are, and to, once they recognize them, to protect them. So what are those rights? If we talk about, all right, they can't, the rights cannot derive from the individual nature of government, and there's other schools of thought. I'm trying to be more cursory in summary here. There's more schools of thought that, that would disagree with the statement that rights derive from the Creator. So let's move on and talk about categories of rights. We used a very alien word uh, in al- <laughs> alien. Uh, <laughs> um, an alien word that's not used much today, and that is inalienable. So there's a concept of inalienable versus legal rights. Okay, for our conversation, let me define both of those. Inalienable rights inalienable rights, are the rights that are inherent in being a human being, not because of us, but because they were given to us by our Creator. They are pre political, that is, these rights come before human government sequentially. They come before. Sequentially, they come before government also by way of priority. And they are only inalienable because they come from God. Here we learn, here we learn, look at this, here we learn the beauty of God's character and his creation. As we study human rights, We see the beauty of our creator. Now let's move on. Legal rights. Legal rights is something that's very much part of our world as well. As I define them, a legal right are rights that are codified into law of a government's legal system. Fair enough? It is what a government grants or acknowledges. You have a right to vote. Police may stop you if they have probable cause. Those would be two a couple laws that are in that are codified in our current legal system. What does this imply? As stated earlier, they can be given to you by the government, they can be taken by the government. So we learned something about inalienable. We learned something about us and God in inalienable rights. God is unchanging. The value of a human being remains the same 10,000 years ago, today, in 1,000 years. His character is dependable. That we are to be, regardless of the person next to me, regardless of what they look like, they are a human being and deserve my respect and honor. In places in the scripture, we're not even told to swear at another person because they're in God's image. That's something to be grateful for. So on the other side, what do we learn about the world when we consider legal rights? Here we learn to observe the government can be just. The government can also be unjust. Government can bring, being composed by men, can be blown about by shifting opinions and shifting worldviews. So we see two pair of realities. God is trustworthy. This world is broken in sin. So that's inalienable rights, and legal rights, any thoughts or questions? Yeah, Brett's Brett's comment was that the institution of, of abortion as a right now sets up a conflict Because it's it's, the right for one person seems to be conflicting with a right of another person. And we'll be getting to that, thank you, Brett. So now let's talk about a concept of negative and positive rights. How many people have heard these terms? Just curious. A few, okay. Negative and positive rights. I had never heard of this until a few years ago. What do I call a negative right? A negative right requires protection from interference. It's, not, it's saying that I require that you don't do things. If I'm talking, if, I, if, I'm, if, if, I'm, if I'm communicating, I have a freedom of speech. I have a freedom of life, freedom of religion, freedom of property. I can work in the field, get that money, to buy an object, and that, that object belongs to me. I have a right to property. These negative rights include association. We can associate with whom we want to. We can assemble, right to assembly, right to privacy. So the negative rights, again, are rights that, that require non-interference. I have a right to conduct my life, if I'm, unless I'm infringing upon the right of another person. And that's an important point. We'll, we'll touch that shortly. It does not requ- now, a negative right does not require that anyone give you a good or a service. The right exists in absence of government. Now, let me here's a quick mental test. These rights, if everyone around you, and all of them, the, the whole world disappeared, what would happen to your negative rights? Well, in that situation, they would be protected. Negative rights are self-fulfilling. If someone c- tries to kill me, I have the right to life. I, don't have to, I have the right to protect myself. Also, I would say that these rights are universal. There is no right that el- eliminates someone else's right. And this is a great quote from Martin Luther King. Segregation laws violated the God-given rights of the African Americans, and therefore... There were no laws at all. He's on to something with this statement. Brett is on to something with his statement. If we set up a system of justice in which, in order for you to exercise your right, you're violating someone else's rights, we have a system that is built upon some level of contradiction. So if negative rights are are phrased that way, what are positive rights? A positive right is when a good or a service must be given or provided to you in order for you to exercise that right. Someone has to give you something or give you a service. Food, housing, jobs, healthcare. So remember the hypothetical? What would happen to these rights? These are human rights. I have rights to these. What would happen to those rights hypothetically, if everyone around you disappeared. You would be deprived of every one of your rights. In this situation, your negative rights would be protected. In this situation, your positive rights would disappear entirely. They would not be protected. So, the stated positive rights would all disappear. What if no one volunteers to give me these things that are my rights. What if no one volunteers? I, you know, uh, Roland, I, I really need some insurance. You need to just give it to me. Just give it to me. No, that's not how business works. I come into your house. Again, I really like that couch. I'm, I'm just going to take it that 's if there 's no one left to volunteer, what are we left with we 're left with coercion what 's the one legitimate source of coercion that we have in society? Well, you, you could say yes there are, gangs are are, 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 are are use coercive force, but they're they 're illegal the one the one entity that has the ability to use coercion is the state. So, someone can stick a gun in in the face of others to coerce that good or service. Well, remember, government, what is government? Government is is force. It's not persuasion. It's saying, you will do this, you will do that. Now, often when a positive right is asserted, it is at the expense of someone else surrendering their negative right. How can I mean that? If I take, if there's just two people on an island, one's a laborer, one's a physician. The physician's, I don't know who he's working on in this hypothetical, but uh, he, he's over there and the, and the one guy asserts his right. I have a right to health care. Come over here and work on me. Does he have a, I mean, he could ask, please, we're the only two people on this island, but does he have a right? You will come over here and work on me. That's coercion. So he could force that doctor, and I realize that this is opening a whole, st- whole conversation here, and I recognize I'm not answering all of them, but I'm, I'm hoping to stimulate the conversations and provoke you to read and consider, have conversations with brothers within the church. That's my goal, not to answer all the questions. So what about government protected rights? The government is to wield the sword to protect negative rights, the negative rights of its citizens. It is to use the coercive sword, the metaphorical sword, which is just metaphor for for coercion, to to protect life, and life entails my ability to defend my own life, speech, religion, property, association, assembly. Now this is in accord with promoting the, the creation mandate of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1. And this function of the state is also honoring the image of God that is in all men and women, Genesis 9. It is also, as I mentioned uh, previously, setting the stage for, to allow the church to pursue its great commission in, make, in making disciples. Again, the keys of the kingdom to the church, the sword is to the state. But in this thought, let me quote from Acts 17, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. Our view of nations should be even Christ-centered. Should. We're in a fallen world. They don't. From 1 Timothy, first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is well pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Those should be our prayers. God, give us a country where we can come together and live peaceably and and work as individuals and as a church to expand the kingdom. So as mentioned last week, government was established for justice. And in Genesis 9, this justice was in context of what? Not taking innocent life. It brings me to my next point. What's the first right? The human being is in the image of God. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is beautiful. This, is a sense of, this should propel a sense of wonder and awe. The angels are not in his image. The galaxies, not in his image men and men and women, in a very special way, are. This image, reality, for, is for every person, regardless of age, cognitive ability, skin color, gender, religion, ethnicity, nationality. Every person is in the image of God, and therefore their life, again, according to Genesis 9, is sacred. What we have seen, what God states about the dignity of, we have seen this about what God states about the dignity of human life. Now, how does this relate to a hot button topic in our, in our culture today around the unborn? How does this impact this? Our worldview flows down to culture, our culture flows down to politics. What's driving your worldview? What's driving your theology? From Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah 44, for thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. If we derive our view of human rights from society, from the individual, there'll be no basis for any regard for the human being. It's only in the Christian worldview that there's basis for dignity. So on this issue, some say that there's a concept of personhood. When does a baby, when does an unborn baby become a person? That's really the seems to be the crucial question. No. That question is, is a false phrasing of it. Because it asks, is it during the third trimester? Is it when there's a heartbeat? Is there a conscious thought? Is it after birth? When pain is perceived? All these different gradations of when possibly life could come in. And to make a decision along those lines at every point is arbitrary. It stands in a contradiction of the reality of the life when in the mother's womb. That baby is alive that baby is distinct from the mother that's in her body. And it's a human. And as revealed from God, this human is in the image of God and deserving protection. It's interesting because we look at science, science, yes, a live human separate from the mother. Science is merely testifying to the reality of of the world that God made. So this, how are we to interact with others on this particular issue? We talked about the the, the importance of the gospel humility and the gospel love in our first session on this issue of abortion. Um, Requires a great level of love and gentleness and care and and great compassion for those who were impacted by the lie of abortion. So in conclusion, let me p- pose some questions for you. In conclusion, how does your worldview shape your view of rights? When you hear this, because we, we see this on news, we see this on videos, it's all around us. What's the worldview that's driving your, your view on rights? What's your theology that's driving your view of rights? what is shaping your view of life of the unborn there's a lot of political there's a lot of cultural influences that are going on and you need to ask the question why why do you believe that oh that this baby is not it's it it's not me it's just it's just why ask the questions why How are you taking steps to show compassion to others? We talked about... that. The, the, I, I simply asserted that the state does not have the role to assert positive rights. That, brings, that should bring up a lot of questions. Should bring up, whoa, hold it, what about compassion? What about the poor? What about those who are truly needy? Yes. I want to provoke you to think about these things, because it should come back to our responsibility. The responsibility of families, the responsibility of churches. Have you contemplated how God has shown mercy and compassion to you as your creator and redeemer? So last week I concluded with this, and I, I feel like I need to conclude with this every single week now because it's such a great quote from Jonathan Lehman. But what, but what might it look like for the church's politics if we became convinced, really convinced? both that we have trouble in this world and that Jesus has overcome this world. As he promised, might we present a strange winsome confidence that is not desperate to win the cultural wars, but is also tenderly and courageously committed to the good of others. I think that's a fine place to stop on this. let me go through some resources that I neglected to go through last week. Highly commend both of these, both by Jonathan Lehman, Authority, How Godly Rule Protects the Vulnerable, Strengthens Communities, and Promotes Human Flourishing. This talks about the concept of authority at every level, the authority of the individual within a family, within business, within a state. Authorities at every level. We interact with authorities all the time. And we need to have a biblical view of that. Very helpful book. Second book, How Didn't the Nations Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided, in a Divided Age. Well worth the time. Well, uh, great guidance through the topic. Hunger for Significance by Sproul and Design for Dignity. These books talk about the beauty of what it means to be created in God's image and the dignity and the impact that it should have upon us and believers. Again, a place of worship. Uh, these will be on the notes if you, if you miss a, a title um, they'll be posted to the website with these particular titles. On the, re- on the issue of abortion, I, w- I would submit to you uh, there's, uh, there was just an announcement about Path of Life. And uh, Path of Life is an organization in Spokane uh, that provi- exists to offer Christ-centered hope and resources for sexual health and relational wholeness. That's a good excellent resource, please reach out if there's interest a book by R.C. Sproul on abortion, Uh, excellent book. And and the last one, we talked last week about the the need for rights to be protected by a small government. Government needs to be restrained. An unrestrained government gets to wield as an authoritarian. So this is a great book, The Road to Serfdom by Hayek. Uh, it's not an explicitly Christian book, but it's worth the concept as far as why we should restrain the size of government for the sake of, of rights and why co- um, communities should be ruled by law rather than the, the feckless opinions of men. Any questions? We're at the, we're at the past, past time. Uh, please come up if you have any questions, or I'd love to have a cup of coffee, uh, discuss this, uh, any topic at greater length. Let me close. Our God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for how you have given rights. We thank you for the image of God that you've created us in. God, there is so many reasons to be grateful, to be compelled into worship. We thank you for what you have done. We pray for this coming time of worship for GCF, that you would reveal yourself wonderfully in the, in the gospel, that you would reveal yourself in the resurrection. Amen.